The Holy Gospel according to John, the eighth chapter. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I mentioned in my welcome, this is uh, Reformation Sunday. Uh, we always celebrate Reformation at the end of October um, because we're remembering the symbolic start of the Reformation, which happened on October 31st, 1517. So actually this year, it's this very day. Uh, and in 1517, on October 31st, of course, that's when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses against indulgences on the castle church door at Wittenberg. And I will tell you, it is hard to overstate uh, the importance and significance of that moment and what flowed from that moment. And you may say, well, Tim, you're a Lutheran pastor. Of course you would say that. So fair enough. So let me just remind you, I don't know if you, you all remember this, but uh, at the turn of the millennium, do you remember there were a few lists that came out of about 100 people? It was the 100 most significant, most important people uh, of the past thousand years, the past millennium. So on two of the most significant of those lists, Martin Luther was listed number three. It was amazing. And so we could talk here, and it would be appropriate to do so, about all of the different ways that Martin Luther and the Reformation has left a legacy for us. We could talk about it culturally or politically or economically. We could certainly talk about it musically. A huge part of Luther's legacy is music. Or uh, we could talk about it theologically and in relation to the church, which is probably what you're assuming you were going to hear about if you come to Reformation Sunday at a Lutheran church. And we will get to a little bit of theology, but I actually want to move away from some of those macro kind of views of things. And I want to begin with a much more focused and particular topic, namely typography and printing. Thank, thank you for laughing. <laughs> Although I'm quite serious. I, now, I freely confess that I have an inordinate um, passion, obsession, with typography and design and printing myself, so it doesn't take much to get me started talking about it, as those who work with me know all too well. <laughs> so, for example, I could tell you uh, about the typefaces in your bulletin this morning. Um, if you look at your bulletin, you will see there's one sans serif that's without serif typeface. That's sort of our heading typeface, one of a number we use. That one is called Myriad Pro. 
Um, that has been used maybe most famously by Apple Corporation. Um, they used it for a long time. Wells Fargo has used it. LinkedIn uses it. It's actually a, a revised version of, his, of it is the typeface for the Walmart logo. Rolls-Royce uses it. So that's Myriad. The other, the serif font that's in the body of the bulletin, not in the hymns, which are their own files, but the rest of the type that's got little squiggly things called serifs, is called Arno. Has anyone been to Florence, Italy? Yeah, I figured a bunch of you. Do you remember the name of the river that flows through Florence? Thank you. <laughs> You're cheating. You were here last hour. Um, yes, the Arno. And so the designer of that typeface, it's actually the same gentleman who designed both of them, named that typeface after the Arno River because he was using as his influence uh, typefaces from the Italian Renaissance. And of course, the Italian Renaissance was centered in Florence. And you think, that is not why I came to church this morning. <laughs> so let's get back to Luther. But I want to get back to Luther by way of printing. So do you remember a name uh, of Johannes Gutenberg? He made the Gutenberg Bible is what he's known for. He invented a new form of printing with movable type. He invented that in 1440. He was also a German gentleman. That invention was so transformative that you remember those lists I mentioned at the millennium? Uh, in one of them, Gutenberg was actually named the number one person, the most important, most significant person of the last millennium. That last night, someone said, you left me hanging. Who was number two? So just so you know, Isaac Newton was number two. He's unrelated to what I'm talking about today, but I don't want you to leave here worrying about that. <laughs> to, to give you a sense of the, how transformative the uh, movable type printing press was, before printing presses of any kind, uh, people would have to hand copy pages, right? And, you know, they could copy maybe three, four, five pages a day. The primitive printing presses before Gutenberg's printing press could copy about 40 pages a day. Gutenberg's movable type printing press could copy about 3,600 pages a day. It absolutely transformed the printing industry. Now, here's an interesting point, though. And this will not surprise those of you who follow technology. It was a new technology, but it didn't mean it immediately transformed the printing industry. In fact, for the next 50, 60, 70 years, printers who didn't quite know what to do with this new technology actually regularly operated at a loss, and most or many of them went bankrupt. Why? They were printing these huge volumes in a foreign language, usually Latin, focused on specialists, so it required a ton of capital to make the books, and they were big and heavy. They required a lot of ink, a lot of paper. It took a lot of expense to mail or send them, and then they were really expensive to purchase, right? And so these printers did not do so well. I, I know most of us don't think of this, but it turns out that Martin Luther was one of the really important personalities who helped to transform the publishing and the printing industry. Now, he didn't make a lot of money on it himself. This was before the days of copyright and intellectual property. But a lot of publishers made, and printers made a lot of money on him. Now, how did that happen? I think we assume, as good Lutherans, that, well, I already mentioned that October 31st, 1517 date. We think, well, Martin Luther bravely walked up to the castle church door. He nailed the theses, and it got printed and sent around the world. And all of a sudden, he was famous. 
And that's, it's a little more complicated than that. Now, I am not taking anything away from Luther's bravery or his theological acumen, but those 95 theses were actually an invitation to a debate. He was a sort of junior university professor. He wasn't the first person to bring up uh, comments about the indulgences, so he put it up there and he said, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about these 95 theses. Who wants to come? Any guesses as to how many people came to that debate? Okay, you guys can't answer that. <laughs> I don't know if you heard them. Did you hear? Zero. Not a single person came. So how then does Martin Luther, who before 1517 had not published a single book, not one, within three or four years become the best-selling author in all of Europe? Well, because with another designer in Wittenberg, Luther started realizing, well, first, actually the first thing that drew attention to him was a guy named Johannes Tetzel, who was the guy selling the indulgences, and he saw the 95 Theses. If he had not done this, by the way, Tetzel, I mean, there's a very good chance those Theses would have been just forgotten. But Tetzel was annoyed by the 95 Theses. He was better known than Luther, so he poked this junior professor from Wittenberg, and if you know anything about Luther, you know that if you poked Luther, he did what? He poked back. So he gets a little bit of attention from Tetzel, and he starts writing, and people start paying attention, and then Luther, with this designer, realized, okay, how can we get our message out better? And he creates, along with this designer, something that could be viewed as a new form of publishing called the pamphlet. Much smaller, so Luther wrote shorter pieces, not these long tomes. He wrote them in German. This designer made you know, attractive covers for them so that the booksellers could uh, sell them. They required a lot less paper and ink, so less capital investment. They were easier to send around, and so people could buy them more cheaply. And because they sold so well, of course, it communicated Luther's message to millions of people in Europe. So where I'm going with this is that Luther, he was a great theologian, an amazing thinker, he was courageous, we could talk about all that, but the point I want to make this morning is that he tended to the particulars of how to get that message out. He didn't just say, oh, well, I'm going to leave it to the printer. No, he was focused on the details, on the minutiae, on the sort of um, things you would say, well, that's not that important for a theologian to worry about. And I'm taking some of this, by the way, from a book called Brand Luther. That's the title of the book. It came out in 2015, I think, so a couple of years before um, the 500th anniversary of 1517. I want to lift up just two quotes from this. This first one is from the author of the book himself. He says this, Luther had very firm views on how his book should look and imposed exacting standards. So again, Luther, this theologian writing a ton of stuff, is worried about how the books look and feel. And then there's this, this is maybe my favorite quote of Martin Luther himself. And as you will hear, it is not a theological point. This is Martin Luther. I have received the second and third set of printed sheets of the book. I cannot say how unhappy and disgusted I am with the printing. 
It is printed so poorly, so carelessly and confusedly to say nothing of the bad typefaces and paper. I love that. Not only because it justifies my own inordinate interest in typefaces and paper, but again, because it reminds us that Luther recognized, if I'm going to get this message out, I can't just have these lofty ideas. I've got to put them into practice. I've got to figure out how to communicate them and how to get them into people's hands. And nothing, no detail, is so insignificant that I shouldn't be focused on it. Now, I started by talking about the legacy of Luther, and again, we could talk about that legacy in our own lives in all kinds of ways. But as it relates to this sort of story I just shared with you, what I want to remind you is that if you've come here thinking, well, you know, I'm not sure I've done anything great for God lately, that's okay. Because one of the things that Luther's Reformation teaches us and reminds us is that all of us in our regular, mundane, ordinary, you might even say trivial events of our everyday life with our families, in our communities, at our workplaces, have the opportunity to, by tending to those things with care and attention and love to help bring about the kingdom of God. And on this Reformation Sunday, I think that is something we should all celebrate. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, we do give you thanks for the legacy of Martin Luther. And today we thank you that he teaches us that in our own lives, we can make the kingdom of God come alive through the particulars of our life. Give us the courage and the strength to focus on the details of our life to do just that. In all of this we pray, in the holy name of Jesus, amen.